Wildfire Podcast is an extension of Wildfire Ministries, an organization that has a focus of igniting men and women of God into a deeper discipleship with Christ, instilling them with a passion to radically and relentlessly pursue Christ wherever that leads, that God's truth will spread like a wildfire. Hey guys, welcome back to the Wildfire Podcast. I'm I'm Peter Wright and I'm joined once again with uh, Luke Taylor. Woo! And today we're going to be talking yeah. about Titus, uh, which is found in the New Testament. Even though yeah. we were hyping up the Old Testament last week, we're going to start <laughs> with the New Testament. <laughs> I, know, I know, and usually, you know, I mean, we start off like a little top, like last week we started with King Kong Godzilla, you know, probably that was maybe not popular, but we try and, <laughs> we try and get, you know, the topical things that are, that are relevant and uh, Titus, just uh, no real way of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And here we go, Titus. There Titus. we go. There's your, yeah. So look, what's, there's what's, your path, what's, what's the context of Titus? Okay, so Titus uh, was uh, a part of the epistles. It was a letter written by Paul to Titus. Uh, Titus was serving in in Crete, which is a place. Uh, important things to know about Crete is it was false false idol worship, Zeus, Zeus mostly. Yeah. And so this was a part of the the missionary campaign of, of of the apostles, specifically that of Paul. And they were just going around establishing the churches, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Uh, Paul, as he had done, went round the locations preaching the good news, and he had left that location. And as, and as he would, you know, with the church in Corinth and Ephesus, through letters he would communicate back to those churches, and he's communicate, communicating back with the uh, with the church in Crete. And specifically, uh, this letter is addressed to to Titus, uh, who we'll talk about, which is obviously a follower of Jesus Christ as well, doing the the good news of the gospel. So, there's a br- br- brief context to, yeah, to Titus. Okay, um, so. For 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 lack of time, we won't read out all the verses we're going to talk about. But if there's a key verse, we're going to read it out and just talk about it. Um, we're just going to give a monologue, okay? Yeah. Paul, a servant of God, and say, no. <laughs> there, are, there, there are audio Bibles out there. If that's what you, if you ask what you're looking for, you can go for that. Uh, but verse one, Paul says um, he calls himself Paul, a servant of God, and some other translations give this Paul a slave of God. Yes. So look, what well, what does that mean, and is that not quite problematic? <laughs> Yeah, this is really interesting, actually, because whenever you're reading this on your own, it it raises a lot of questions, because uh, what does that mean? Because whenever we think of the gospel, we think of freedom, we think of, of liberation, of, of salvation, of being freed from our sin, and all the, whenever you hear the gospel message being preached, that is the way it's preached. And whenever you reverses, that is also the way it, the way it is shown. So, But yet we see here that Paul designates himself the title slave. So some translations of servant, but the actual Greek itself is is, is slave, and we can get into what that definition is. But, uh, it, but paradoxically, it's not self-deprecating, as in Paul's not dissing himself here. Paul's not slagging himself off, nor is he slagging off the believers uh, of Jesus Christ, nor is he trying to diminish uh, the good news of the gospel and its transformative formative power so it's really interesting so you sort of have to unpack it a bit you have to go to to where else this this idea of this this slavery metaphor this analogy appears in the gospels and in and in the epistles because paul paul does use it so if you go to john chapter 8 verse 34 it says everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin so again it's that that that, that principle metaphor of slave how we are slave to sin okay uh, and that's self-evident. Whenever we think of the sin in our lives, we we these become strongholds. We become imprisoned by them. They become inescapable. And that's the whole idea of what the Bible is conveying, that through our sin, we are imprisoned. It, it is inescapable. We are slave and held captive to that. And that is why we need the gospel. Okay. And then we go to Galatians 5.1. So you got John 
34, which talks about how we're slave to sin. Then you've got Galatians 5.1, which is, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And, and we were talking about this and words and the connotations and, and, and the meanings that words are infused with, with change. And what we were talking about is, is in the Bible, the connotation that you attach to this word slavery depends on who you're slave to. Okay, but then we read of Paul talking about being a slave to Christ. So whenever you read that, don't panic. Um, it's just about understanding the context. Whenever you read about slavery, what are you a slave to? It's only one word in that verse, in those first couple of verses yeah. that we're kind of dwelling a lot on. But it's a, it's a, people tend to paint with a broad brush when it comes to the Bible. Yes. And quite often they'll say, well, slavery is in the Bible. So it's just a quick point. We're not going to spend too much more time Yeah, exactly. On it, Another time just... we'll talk fully extensively about yeah. what slavery is in the Bible. But just in this context, it's, it's just a beautiful thing to highlight about what the connotations and meaning is, is behind it here. And it's not to panic. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And that, so moving on to verses two to four, look, um, these verses kind of talk about how we can, like, they talk about salvation a lot. Yeah. So how can we be certain that we have this salvation? Yeah. This is a crazy, this is a crazy question. Because so, it almost seems like a lot of believers in their life have this question. Am I truly saved? Mm-hmm. Do I truly have salvation? And whenever you read the Bible, if 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 we truly understand, because this is a question that I, I asked myself whenever um, I was younger than what I am now, um, because I, I, I just didn't have the biblical understanding. Because whenever you understand the Bible and what it says, it's like the Bible does not entertain whatsoever that you could lose your salvation whenever you read it. So if you have a firm biblical foundation of what the Bible actually says about the the assurance and the certainty of salvation, you can never be in doubt. And this is one of the passages that you can use. So it says in Titus, this truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. Okay, so and you can, we, we, there's a whole selection of verses that you can use that talk about the assurance of salvation. But here in this passage alone, it talks about having confidence. It talks about having this bold confidence that you are saved. And it just, it comes to, to me, whenever I understood my, the assurance and certainty of salvation, it was understanding the gospel, the gospel message in my life, as in that we are sinners, members slave to sin. But it's acknowledging that, accepting, believing and confessing that and then we are justified and we are regenerated. And the Bible says that we preach Christ crucified, but we have been crucified with Christ. As in who I was died. And I am a new creation, the Bible says. I am a holy temple for God's presence, okay? So whenever you understand that, you can't be crucified with Christ and then uncrucified. Yeah, that makes okay? a lot <laughs> You can't be numbered among the elect and then just not among the elect, okay? So you have to understand whenever God's presence indwells within you, okay, that's not leaving because salvation does not depend on our loose grip. It depends on God's tight grip on his children. And this is one of the verses that you can use uh, amongst many others. And uh, I don't know, do you want to highlight that, that there yeah, verse? Yeah, so another verse I've always been taught is, it's First John 5, 11 to 12. It says, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So again, it's who your trust is in. If Because if, all religions of the world have trust in something, but it's what your trust is in. That's what, that's what the strength of Christianity is in. God will never let us go once we've uh, trusted in, in his son. Yeah, so have assurance and certainty in your salvation. And there's a whole host of scriptures that just reaffirm that. And just be, that, that gives you so much uh, hope and certainty and assurance whenever you go about your uh, your business for Jesus Christ, whenever you go about your days, you can just serve him with that assurance and that, and that certainty. 
Yeah, and then look, the next few verses kind of talk about elders and, and things like that. So what are the biblical qualifications for an elder that is talked about in Titus? Okay, so in verse 6, we're not going to read it because it does extensively highlight this in a few verses, a lot of characteristics and traits in which you could you could write like books upon about each characteristic. Um, but a few um, are you're to be blameless, trustworthy, strong belief uh, in the trustworthy message. You're to be slow to anger. You're to be wholesome uh, and pure. Uh, and so there are just a few characteristics in, in which you can un- unpack. Uh, some of the most beautiful ones are having a strong belief in the trustworthy message. So it's actually taking the word of God, the Old Testament and the New, and how that is the word of God, as Second as Timothy 3 says, as we highlighted last week, and how that is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and how it's all scripture is God-breathed. God okay, and so whenever I go out um, about my day, uh, whenever I, I talk to people about, about the Bible, uh, and whenever I quote verses, uh, I'm literally quoting God. That's God's word. That's what he said and that's what he's given to us. And I think a lot, a lot of the times I personally uh, um, ha- have, se- have seen it, it where we forget that which we're actually speaking about. Like whenever we're, whenever we're talking about Titus right now, yes, it was a letter written by Paul, but it was, it was inspired by God. Everything that he has written was, it was to Titus, but it was for us. Uh, and this is God's word. Uh, and it's actually, it's profound and weird to have a trustworthy, a trustworthy account of that. And, and that should be transformative and that should give us, again, so much more confidence. What, what you're saying in Titus is confidence in salvation, confidence in God's word. So you become unshakable. And those are some of the characteristics that we talk about. And and it talks about more about criteria in, in other passages as well. In First Timothy 3, um, where we, we do need to, to analyze and specifically talking about men and how they need to take up the mantle and the role. Because in, in, in our society, a lot of men are taking a backward, a backward step. They're not taking responsibility. And, and that's what Paul said. Take responsibility and look at all the characteristics and, uh, and traits that you need to have. And, and, and that's one of them that I found was profound about having, having a tr- trustworthiness in the word of God. Yeah, that, that was great. Look, and we, we, and then moving on to verse 13, we know from kind of, in this passage of, or in this book of Titus and from other sources that the problem with the church in Crete was that there were religious leaders in the church who were not practicing what they were preaching and who were leading the church astray. So when verse 13 talks about reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith, what implications might that have? Um, yeah, this, this is crazy. Okay, so it says reprimand them sternly to make them strong in their faith. And it's this principal idea of the importance of biblical accountability, the importance of standing up for truth, which as we have discussed in, in the preceding verses, the truth is God's word. And so whenever we are amongst a, bo- a body of believers, we're called to hold each other accountable. The Bible says in Galatians that if any of you is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore one another. So say, for example, I see my brother Peter, and, and, and he's straying away or he is doing something that is not biblical or that is not aligning itself with God's truth, then I have a responsibility, a God-given responsibility and what is taught in, in his word that I need to go to Peter and I need to address that in his life. I need to speak into that. I need to recognize that as a problem. And whenever you recognize something as a problem, only then can you get the solution. And, and 
that then the other side of it is whenever you actually hear people preaching false gospel or false truth and they're actually deviating away from the word of God, which is very dangerous. And that's what's happening in here. And in that context in Crete, that was happening loads with, with, with false teachers and prophets. And whenever we come across those like that, and a lot of the times we probably won't because it's, it's more implicit than it is explicit. You won't really see someone in the streets shouting, you know, Jesus is not the son of God. But hypothetically, if you did, <laughs> if you did, you're going to have to go to that person and address that. You have to stand up for truth. You have to stand up for what is right. Um, but the importance of, of biblical count- accountability, uh, yeah. Yeah, but then you also don't want to go too far the other way. Isn't that right? You don't want to become a mini Pharisee and yes. go around critiquing everyone else when there's plenty wrong in your life. Uh, like Jesus talks plenty about that in the Gospels, but yeah, yeah, plan- plan- taking out the plank of your own eye before you point out the speck in someone else's. Yeah. So a kind of a middle ground look, look and I find is we, we've, we're both part of accountability groups where we have a group of guys around us and we ask them to hold us accountable. So if they see any sin in our lives, anything we're not Mm-hmm. Um, we're falling away from the mark on they they have the responsibility of telling us yeah that way we're not going around pointing out everyone else's flaws but we're with a close community a close community of guys who all understand each other's flaws and can help us grow together to be more yeah. like more like christ and that's the beautiful thing about biblical accountability as well because say if i discern something in your life okay before i go to you i have to see if that's a problem in my own yes that's true so it gives it yeah. gives it gives mutual reflection mm-hmm. so it allows me to see and discern if there's any sin and to be free from that and it also allows you so it grows in this intimacy uh, and and that that's what it, it's talking about talking about here amongst other things yeah and then just a Finish off in chapter one, look, verse 15 says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this this is actually a really crazy verse, because I actually uh, was reading this, and everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. Okay, so those who are pure are those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, as in God is dwelling uh, dwelling with those those people, so we are able to to discern that which is pure, especially through God's word and through God's spirit. However, repeatedly here and in other passages, those who do not have Christ, okay, the Bible talks about it. Talks about it elsewhere in First Corinthians two and uh, First Peter one. How in First Corinthians two, for example, it says that for for those who do not have Jesus, that everything is, is foolishness. Okay, so that's an important distinction to remember that. Uh, especially whenever you're a Christian and you're witnessing, people perceive that as foolishness. And why do they do that? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have God. So uh, what you're saying does sound uh, at times crazy to them or it does sound foolish or they'll they'll say it's stupid, but that's because they don't have the, the Spirit of God. They don't have the presence of God in dwelling within them. Uh, the Bible says that they're corrupt and unbelieving. Their minds and consciousness are corrupted. And, and that's where we were. Our minds uh, they were corrupted. We couldn't see straight. Uh, the lens that we looked at everything was uh, was horrible. And that's the whole point of the transformative power of salvation. Now we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we have a different lens and different outlook. Okay, you'll be happy to hear. Okay, as you can see, Peter was asking me questions there and I was answering loads and you'll be glad to hear that I'm not going to be speaking like that <laughs> loads now. The way we wanted to do it was it's, it's chapter one, two and three. So Titus is three chapters. Chapter one, I was going to review it and Peter's going to ask me questions on it. And now chapter two, Peter's going to do that. I'm going to ask him questions. And he's going to talk about briefly about what Titus, uh, Titus two is all about. And then chapter three, we're going to, we're going to do that one. We're going to venture that one together. <laughs> okay. So chapter two, what are the main points in chapter two, Peter? So to break it down quickly, Paul is giving Titus the job of fixing the church in Crete. 
And he, so basically, chapter one deals with him kicking out these false teachers or correcting their doctrine that they've got wrong. And chapter two talks about the actual church and how they're supposed to live. So he, Paul breaks it down for us in five different groups. So there's the older men, the older women, young men and young women, and then finally servants or slaves. So hopefully there aren't any slaves listening to this one today. So we're not really <laughs> going to talk about the criteria Paul sets for slaves. Again, hopefully we'll come back to another podcast and talk about slavery in the Bible in general. So we might talk about it then. So we're just going to talk about the old man, the old woman, the young man and the young woman. And there's one point that they're all told to do in different ways, and it's to be self-controlled. So for some of them, Paul says to be sober-minded, and for others, he says self-controlled. But they're all told that, and I think that's a good way to summarize the things you aren't supposed to do. If you do something and it's not controlled by the Holy Spirit, or you're not in control of your own actions, then it's it's sinful. So Paul's able to summarize everything they're supposed to do in that in those words. That's why he tells each group individually to do that. So I thought that'd be an interesting way we could kind of talk about culture today. Look. <laughs> or some ways Christians could be self-controlled today. Cool. Well, I think, okay, instead of examining culture, mm-hmm. I think maybe I'll just examine myself. Okay, that sounds fun. <laughs> as, as a good way to because whenever I look at myself, the one thing that I, I, like I was telling you, I was talking to you about this, um, it's so easy just to speak things flippantly. You know what I mean? We just have our natural tendency, at least mine is, my natural tendency or default is literally just to speak. So whenever someone says something, I speak, I respond instinctively, um, which isn't good because the Bible says out of the flesh comes no good thing. And so whenever you respond instinctively, most of the time you respond in the flesh, which is the Bible says no good thing comes from it. Um, so whenever I think of that, whenever I think of actually the words that you speak, and that's something I've been looking at in my own life where uh, I need to actually take a step back. The Bible says there's a time to speak and a time to be silent. And that's a really amazing scripture. So whenever I'm in grips, whenever I'm in one-on-one conversations or with I'm or whether I'm with my family, especially in lockdown, okay, I have to treat them with the utmost respect. In Titus, it talks about familial terms. The way Paul addresses like my son Titus, there was this respect. And you have to have respect, obviously, for your parents, honor thy father and mother. That respect needs to be there in the house and you need to be need to be controlled in your language and you need to be silent. That's that's what I find. That's that's a form of self-control in your words, in 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 the way that you speak, which is so important. And that 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 verse is verse is amazing. Another verse is that it's it's better it's better to be quiet and people think you you're a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Yeah. Which is which is so good. <laughs> I rather a lot of people do look at me and think I'm a fool. Okay. <laughs> and whenever I speak, I certainly do confirm that. So I that that's one form. But like, what do you, what do you think? Because like, that's the only yeah, form so, specifically right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've you've been honest. So I'll say I've been playing a lot of Call of Duty recently. Really? Oh yeah. But not. I don't have. I I'm one of the rare people who actually plays it on my phone. So I don't have an Xbox or PlayStation, but I play Call of Duty on my phone. So I usually spend like a lot a lot lot more time than I should have on that. So that'll be the self-control of my life at the minute is playing too much Call of Duty and not enough Bible study <laughs> or even uni work as well. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's really specific though. Oh like yeah. People can, if you take, so that's the specific, if you take the principle, mm-hmm. uh, what, what, what is it that is taking too much, you know, is becoming a stronghold in your life or is, is becoming almost an idol. It's distracting you away from what your, your, your eyes are actually supposed to be fixed on, which yeah. is, which is Jesus. So, uh, yeah, self-control in language and your actions and your thoughts. Obviously, yeah, you could do I, a whole podcast. And, and you've got even the more general ones I always talked about in church, alcohol, drugs, pornography, all those kind of things. So you can go, <laughs> you can go high level, you can go low level. You, like, you can be as specific as you want to self-control, really. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. But but don't forget, you're called. So I was listening to something amazing podcast uh, interviews from the porch, and it was talking about being reactive and proactive. So, for example, whenever you do sin, whenever you do fall short of God's glory, which is every day, mm-hmm. uh, whenever you speak out of hand, react to that. Because so often we try and justify sin, we try and right. flee from sin, we try and say, "No, I didn't do it," or this and that, and that's exhaustive. Uh, rather, whenever you sin, just say that's a sin. Just react. Okay, I, I spoke out of hand there, and and reconcile yourself. Then that that that's then be proactive. So reactive, I sinned. Proactive is actually do something about it. Seek reconciliation with whoever it was you were involved with, and seek reconciliation with God. Most importantly, yeah. James says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. That, that's an amazing that's that's an amazing verse. And uh, so be reactive and proactive. Are, are amazing things to whenever you're exhibiting self-control because like this self-control battle is if you if you took it in its entirety if you took the rest of your life it actually is crushing <laughs> you know what I mean like I'm gonna have to go every single day with all these temptations uh, with girls with social media with Call of Duty with speaking <laughs> with thoughts uh, with uh, uh, even self-control as, as a form of discipline reading God's word that, that form of discipline you know what I mean whenever you think about it and you can look in your own life because the Bible talks about examining yourself. Areas in, in your life where you're just falling short and you're not exhibiting self-control, you actually feel crushed and don't feel like you can actually do it. But that's why the Bible says, uh, do not worry about tomorrow. So take each day as its own, uh, incrementally, giving yourself small things, uh, small bites, uh, and, and that, that'll finish your meal. Yeah. <laughs> if we're using that metaphor. So incrementally be proactive, reactive to what you're saying and just confess your sin. Examine yourself every day. Mm-hmm. And, and Psalm 27, 43, uh, David wrote about standing before God innocent, which is so important. We need to stand before God, before God innocent. And that comes with self reflection. Yeah, and is it Paul talks about in Philippians as well about taking every thought captive? I, I don't know. Yeah. If Philipp- is it Philippians? I, I don't know if it's Philippians. I, I, think, it's, I, don't I think it's say. okay. I think it's Paul anyway. But he talks about taking every thought captive. So every single thought that you have, you have self- you have to have self control over those thoughts. And scientists now have discovered neuroplasticity. So your thoughts create yeah. pathways in your head that form, oh. that form into actions. So yeah. you might not have a you've, habit yet that's sinful, but if you just don't dwell on those thoughts, then. If you don't fix the thoughts in your head, then it's going to become actions, which are going to become addictions and habits oh, of yeah. sin. So you need to dwell with everything and have self-control on the thought level as well as on the level of action. Yeah, because the literature has shown that we have over 70,000 thoughts a day. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, I think that's actually a useful thing uh, to talk. Will we give that sequential pattern? Let's give by views on the porch by... Yeah. Um, so uh, basically it's that... So a thought... So it's this idea of sowing and reaping. Mm-hmm. So you, you'll, you'll reap what you sow. So if you sow a thought, then you'll reap an action. And then if you sow an action, then you reap a habit. And then if you sow a habit, you reap a, a destructive character. And then if you sow a destructive character, then you reap a destructive destiny. <laughs> so it's that, pat- it's that pattern. Mm-hmm. And if you just follow it. So uh, that's why it's so important. What starts at a thought level Okay, if it keeps on going down that and you don't exhibit self-control, it'll inevitably lead to an action. And then actions, uh, they'll lead to habits and then habits will just affect your character. Yeah. And then that'll affect your destiny and, and just where where you go down. Yeah, it's, so, it's the butterfly effect that's talked about small small thoughts of large actions. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we, we haven't really left ourselves as much time for chapter three, for but I think that was a good discussion for self-control. So I think to close, we'll just read 
there's a gospel poem Paul has, which is verses four to seven. Yeah. So I think we'll just... It's a beautiful one. We'll, we'll close with that. I might just give a thought each and one yeah. that. So uh, here it goes. This is verses four to seven of chapter three. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, yeah, just a thought on that. What do you think? You go first. I just ran. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, well, the things that stood out to me were justification. It talks about justification loads. In, in Romans 5, it talks about being justified. Uh, again, that assurance and that certainty. So it's sort of like the full circle thing. Titus 1 starts with it. And then chapter 3 is what it's ending with in the, with this beautiful poem. And then talking about regeneration. And again, this idea of transformation, that we are transformed. The Bible says that we are we are to be living sacrifices and that we are holy temples. So it's just understanding the actual <laughs> the actual power of what what God's word is actually saying and the actual power of who you are and understanding that. Yeah, I think what I'll say is uh, I'll actually dwell something from verse three just to bring us full circle. It talks about um, being slaves to various passions and pleasures, and then verses four to seven. That's how we get liberated from those passions and pleasures. But everyone has a master, but who's your master? Is it sla- is it are you a slave to sin, or is your master Christ? And that's really the question we're going to end on today. Yeah, perfect. Okay, guys, so that's it for for this podcast. And uh, do we reveal what's next week, or do we do? Yeah. yeah. So next week podcast is going to be on knowing the will of God uh, for your life. So basically, we're going to go over seven billion people in the world and just each individually, <laughs> what's your will of God? No, we're going to talk about biblical principles and frameworks that we can take from the bible and that can give us direction and prayer and thought on that so that's everything for this week guys and we'll see you later